Welcome to episode 51 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 51 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? I'm doing very well. And how about you? Anything new going on? So I've been crazily apartment searching, as <laughs> as you know. I think I found an apartment. Oh, yay. I think. I applied for it. It It's literally perfect. It has everything that I really want. Wood floors and then central air is actually really hard to find here. Separate everything, separate bedroom, bathroom to like keep I'm really big into like keeping all your your workspace separate from your sleeping, separate from your 
your bed. Um, the only thing is it doesn't have a ton of sunlight. Oh. But I figure I can really brighten it up and then maybe start a habit of walking around the neighborhood. There you go. Go outside. Get some sun there. Anything new with you? Um, well, I had an interesting weekend and I have discovered something really fascinating. You know how I don't take seasonal allergy medication anymore? Well, I have, for the past two times that I've gone out of town, I went out of town this weekend, and the past two times that I've gone out of town with friends from college, once was to a bowl, football bowl game, and then this weekend it was a special reunion weekend for my sorority at Wake Forest. Um, and so each of those days I opened my window really early, like really no window, <laughs> like having brunch and drinks and mimosas and then eating just, you know, like a, quote, normal person throughout the day. Both times that I've done this, I at the end of the day, I am sneezing like crazy, like constant sneezing. So like yesterday, after my window had been open for probably, I don't know, 10 hours <laughs> at that point, I started to sneeze just like crazy. And the whole rest of the night I was sneezing. And then I just went to bed. And I woke up and I'm fine. Do you think it's the fasting or the lack of fasting or the food or both? I don't know. Um, I th- it's just so weird. The, um, but it happened at the at the bowl game at the end of the night, towards the end of the evening, and then it happened yesterday too. So, and it's it's not feeling like I'm coming down with a cold. It's feeling like allergies. So, something about the fasting, I guess, keeps my body from having that allergic response. And then when I start eating and drinking just all day long, my body just is like, okay, now you're going to sneeze a lot. (laughs) But it was like really funny. It was the way I felt when I had allergies all the time. Yeah, I was going to say, since allergies are like related to the immune system and inflammation and everything, that I guess it makes sense. I wouldn't expect it to be like so instant. That's what's so funny. You know, I wouldn't think inflammation would be like, here it is. (laughs) But both days I also was, you know, Drinking throughout the day, I guess, you know, starting with, with brunch, with mimosas and having, you know, afternoon cocktails and then drinks with the evening. So that's that's not my usual, obviously. So I don't know if that has something to do with it as well. But it was just very interesting because these are the same friends I was with at both events. And I'm like, well, I'm really promise you I'm not always like this. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't me. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> But we also had like a freak snowstorm while I was there. I mean, it's spring. Yeah, it's spring. And, um, you know, we record the podcast a couple of weeks before we we air them. But it's fully spring. The season of spring is here and the trees are all flowering. And it snowed and snowed and snowed in North Carolina where I was. That's crazy. It was. It was really (laughs) nice to see, but it didn't stick to the road. So that was good. But, you know, this Georgia girl liked seeing some snow some snow yeah well I've actually been experimenting with opening my window earlier so I've been like flex playing around with my windows trying to actually just to see if I can like gain more weight without having to eat a ton (laughs) in a one meal a day pattern but it just it's not working so well I when I open it earlier and I have like a meal then I just so tired and I just want to crash and my productivity just kind of plummets and yeah that's how I felt yesterday after brunch and then a few hours later I was like having coffee at two in the afternoon and I never do that I usually stop at noon but I was so tired and I was like oh I gotta have some coffee well for me I feel like my productivity wouldn't stop if I just ate easily digestible like fruit or something like that Mm -hmm. but then I feel but then I get really hungry so then I would have to just keep eating fruit like until dinner yeah which is just a lot of sugar so I don't know it's it's hard hard to figure out but yeah I don't want to go back to eating all day I definitely don't because I you know I'm I'm really happy to be back to fasting today and it just feels like all right this is how it's supposed to be but my by the end of the day yesterday my body was like what stop doing this (laughs) (laughs) But it was great. It was, I mean, I would not do it differently going back. I know that might sound crazy, but every bit of the socializing was worth it. And we had a great, a great time. Oh, and I also want to say, I want to add, it's days like that. When you take the day off for a special event, those are the days that really, you re, it reinforces why this is a lifestyle. 
and how much better you do feel when you're fasting. So I do think the odd day like this here and there is is good to have just because you're like, all right, yep, I'm a faster. Definitely. (laughs) Definitely affirming for sure. It, It really is. It really is. All right. Are we ready for the first question? Yes. All right. So our first question comes from Linda and she actually has a few different questions, but we're just going to address the first one first. And the subject is appetite and then reflux, which is kind of a teaser. (laughs) So Linda says, hi, ladies. Love the podcast. Been binge listening and feel so grateful for everything I'm learning. It feels like the missing link I've been searching for. I have some questions, although the first one is really more of a comment. I've only been doing IF for four days, 19.5, but immediately made an incredible discovery. Once my window is open, I do not eat everything in sight. In fact, I do quite the opposite. I reach satiety very quickly and just don't want any more. The second night, I had a Chipotle bowl and only wanted half of it. This never happens even after a normal three-day meal kind of day. I'm stunned because it's not like when I tried intuitive eating and I tried to force myself to stop because I was at a certain fullness number. No, I just didn't want any more and would be hard-pressed to eat more. Anyway, my question. Is this common? Is there some science behind it? Why isn't this talked about more? And then she has some more questions, um, but do we want to talk about that first, Jen? Yeah, let's talk about that. And actually... Um, Linda, I loved reading what you wrote so far because I love that you're getting that signal to stop eating already, even though you're only four days into it. That is really what it's supposed to be like. That's how our bodies are supposed to work. And I also like the way you referenced intuitive eating because I also have an intuitive eating background. And like you, I had to force myself to stop because I was constantly saying, am I full? I don't know. Am I still hungry? Yes, I am. I don't know. And it, my body and brain never connected when I was eating all day long, having you know breakfast, lunch, dinner. My brain and body didn't get the message synced right. So I, I never was certain if I was hungry. And the answer might just be yes at all times. So I would just keep eating. And I didn't lose any weight eating that. But with intermittent fasting, yes, just like you, those satiety signals are back in balance for me. And we actually do talk about this quite a bit. And um, really the aha moment for me was when I read Dr. Bert Hearing's book, Appetite Correction. Yes, we've mentioned it before, and it's in the, the things that we like. And his book, Appetite Correction, just really gave me that aha moment of, oh, this is what it's supposed to be when our body is working properly. It has to do with the balance of hormones, our satiety hormones, our hunger hormones, and the way our body senses when we've had enough food. So if you want to really read the the science behind it, I highly encourage his book, Appetite Correction. And it's a simple book. It's a short read. But it really makes you realize, oh, you know, we're not supposed to be having to micromanage our food intake. And when we have a hard time stopping, there are reasons why. He goes into the reasons why. It has to do with um, palatability of the food that we're eating now that's not, you know, quote, real food from nature like we're designed to eat. It has to do with... um, the the cues that we get from regular meal time and we're all like, all right, time to eat because everyone is eating. So there are lots and lots of reasons why um, we've lost connection from our, our satiety signals. But um, I highly recommend that you read that. Yeah, I was actually going to ask if he addressed if the hyperpalatability of food and if refined and processed foods kind of short-circuited the appetite correction. Yeah, all that's in there. And it's, it's just a lot of factors that go together. It's what you're eating. It's when you're eating. It's how we're eating. It's, it's cleaning your plate, learning how to do that as a child, right? And your mom says, you got to clean your plate. You know, it's all those different things. Teach us to ignore those signals and then we lose touch with them completely. But we can reconnect with them as Linda is showing. And us, we, we feel that way too. And one thing that I love about Dr. Herring and his book, Appetite Correction, is that he makes it very clear that there is no one size fits all solution. You know, maybe for some people, Linda, intuitive eating was enough. They were able to immediately get the idea, you know, 
no matter how they structured their eating, they were they got the idea, hey, I'm full, because I know that it works for other people. For me, for you, for some of us, we have to find just the right window link that works. Some people have to adjust the types of foods that they're eating before they, they find it. So this is why we can't give you, here's exactly what to do, step one, step two, step three, here's what to eat exactly like this, and here's how long to eat it, and here's the time of day to eat it. Because it really is a very personal journey and you've got to figure it out for yourself. But when you do, just like you're experiencing, you'll say, hey, I've had enough food. And that's when you know that you're on the right track. Yeah, and it also reminds me of Stephen Guyane's book, The Hungry Brain, which I've also talked about before. And that actually goes into what I was just talking about with how the hyper palatability of food and refined and processed foods short circuit the whole appetite correction thing. Um, They basically tell our bodies, eat, 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 eat. And then also, I really liked hearing this from Linda because we do get a lot of questions on the flip side about people who do struggle with kind of going crazy at first or like they do even with one meal a day, they struggle with feeling like they're overeating. And we've talked about that before on the podcast and we can probably talk about it soon in the future as well but it is really nice to hear that the flip side happens as well like for with Linda's situation not everybody overeats at first right right it Mm -hmm. is very typical for people to do that like Melanie just said and so for listeners who may find they're struggling the opposite way they feel like they're just like binging when their window opens that should go away over time as your body adjusts and then the second part of Linda's question she says another question has to do with calories Often you say, don't count calories, and I took this to heart. I try to avoid processed foods and listen to my body. What's confusing, though, is lately I've been hearing Melanie say, now I don't want you to start getting in the restrictive mindset, but X is a lot of calories. I've heard you say this about yogurt, nut butter, etc. Well, I have to say it leaves me confused and puts me right into the restrictive mindset. Once and for all, could you please clear up this question, do calories count or not? Okay. (laughs) Um, I'm really glad that Linda brought this up. I don't remember saying this about yogurt, but I guess maybe I did. So I will speak briefly to this. So basically, overall, I believe we need, there needs to be a huge paradigm shift concerning calories. So it's not just about calories in, calories out when it comes to weight gain and weight loss. So there are so many factors that affect that that are so beyond our control that looking at it in a calories in versus calories out manner just doesn't speak to so many factors that can affect how our body actually uses those calories. So, I mean, there are so many things, Uh, the different types of calories, protein, fat, alcohol, carbs, those are all processed differently, thermogenic effect of food, hormones are huge, thyroid is huge. Gut bacteria is huge. Whether or not you're fasting is huge. So basically, there's so many factors that we can't. We, in a way, calories. They don't. The way we see them, they don't count. No, because we can't really. We can't measure them that way. And when you're doing intermittent fasting, it naturally puts your body into a fat burning state during the window. It can regulate satiety. It can regulate your hormones. And so you don't have to worry about counting calories during your window or really overeating per se. That all said, even though the calories in versus calories out way of looking at things doesn't really speak to calories, that doesn't change the fact that eating food is taking in energy. And a lot of foods today can squeeze a lot more energy <laughs> into food than historically we consumed. So for example, like nut butter. Think about the difference between eating nuts and chilling nuts versus refining the nuts into a nut butter form where it really can be a huge hit of quote calories. So if somebody's doing one meal a day and they're doing intermittent fasting and they find that they're not losing weight 
something they might want to look at is if they are consuming, for example, like 5,000 calories from nut butters, um, that's, that is still a thing. Like I was saying how we can't really measure how the body uses the calories, their body might be using those calories to gain weight. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that we really need a paradigm shift versus calories, but if you do find that you're not getting the weight loss you des- you desire during your intermittent fasting, you might want to look at the food quality and gravitate more towards whole foods and do keep in mind that certain foods may provide a lot of energy. Yeah, energy. That's a good way of looking at it. And if you're not going to burn off that energy, then that's a thing. So I, I really don't, I don't want people to get into restrictive mindsets, but um, yeah. What, what are your thoughts, Jen? Yeah, this is just one of those those topics that comes up a lot because you know, we say don't count calories and and that is interpreted as calories are not real or calories don't count or food volume doesn't matter. And none of those are true either. So like Melanie explained, we can't control what happens in our bodies with the foods that we eat. Um, you could eat very low amounts of calories and not lose weight at all if your body is not burning your fat for fuel. Or you could eat very, very high numbers of calories and not store any of it as fat if your body adjusts by upregulating your metabolism in response to the overeating of food. So what we really don't encourage is people saying, here is my resting metabolic rate, and so I'm going to eat exactly you know, 500 calories less than my resting metabolic rate every day or, or whatever, and then I'm going to mathematically lose this much weight over a period of time. That's not how it works. You know, theoretically it should work that way. But um, I talked about this in Feast Without Fear. There's a fascinating twin study that they did where they did measure the metabolic rate of these twins, identical twins, and then overfed them by 1,000 calories a day. So mathematically they should have gained precisely, you know, two pounds a week. And um, they did not. (laughs) Some of them gained more. Some of them gained so much less, but it was all over the place. But the twins together had very similar amounts that they gained, showing that there's a lot more going on than just the mathematics of calories in, calories out. So you absolutely can eat too much food and not lose weight. And so you might say, aha, then it is all about the calories. You said it wasn't, and then it is. Well, no, Counting calories itself is counterproductive because, as Melanie said, you can't control what happens in your body. Also, different foods are going to be treated differently in your body. So if you just say, I'm going to eat 1,200 calories, it does matter you know, if you're having 1,200 calories of whole foods, high-quality fats, lots of vegetables, high-quality protein sources. That's going to be treated very differently in your body than 1,200 calories of 100-calorie packs of crackers, right? Your body is going to be not working very well when that's what you choose. So another problem with counting calories is that it encourages you to ignore your hunger and satiety signals. For example, let's say you've calculated your metabolic rate using the formulas you've been given and your trainer has you on this plan where you're going to eat 1,300 calories a day and that is what you're going to do. And he guarantees you're going to lose X amount of weight following this plan. Well, some days you may eat and you might only have 1,200 calories and you're full, but you got this in your head and you're like, you know what? I could eat 100 more calories. I still have a balance of 100. So you're going to eat something just to get to that because you can. You know, we've all been on those diets where we're like, I can still eat something else. And you eat it because the calories are there. On the, the flip side of that, some days you might eat those allotted number of calories and you find that you are still legitimately really, really hungry. Your body needs more food that day. But because you've eaten what your trainer said to eat, your 1,300 calories, you're like, no, I can't eat anymore. But your body really did need more fuel that day, so you really should have listened. So it goes both ways. You can think you're undereating. You can think you're overeating. When really, if you follow your body's lead, some days you do need more, some days you just need less. So all of this to say... Do calories count or not? Instead of phrasing it like that, I mean, I would love if no one ever counted another calorie. 
But yes, volume of food does matter. You can eat too much and not lose weight. Or you can eat so much that your body ramps up your metabolic rate. Or you can eat so little. I mean, <laughs> there's so many things that could happen um, in your body that you've just the, – the best bet is what you were talking about at the beginning, um, Linda, learning to listen to your body. When you're full, stop eating. Instead of let me count that up and see did I eat enough. No, if your body says I'm full, you ate enough. But if your body says I'd like to eat some more, then eat some more. And if you find that you're not losing weight, as Melanie said, focus on perhaps what you're eating. Think about how you can switch that up because you can overeat, but please don't get in a restrictive mindset. So what do you think? Did we clear that up or did we make it worse? <laughs> I hope we cleared it up. It's so complicated. I wish there was never I wish we never had the whole concept of calories. Yeah. Cause it really makes us think we can micromanage a process that's out of our control. And then we try. And so, you know, yes, if you're eating less food, then you're you're tapping into your energy stores. And so people say, aha, that proves that calories count. But it's just the volume of food absolutely does matter. But counting calories is just counterproductive in so many ways. So we'll have to, I guess, just leave it with that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And then she also says, um, background on me, she's a 49-year-old who's been dieting since age 10, lost 40 pounds on the no-S diet where where you were only allowed three plates of food, so no snacking, no sweets, no seconds. Weight was stalled, but I still have 20 to 40 pounds to lose. I was so desperate that I even got a prescription for weight loss meds, ugh. Before I even failed it, I found your podcast and never looked back. So that is... That's wonderful. It really is because, you know, I've gone down that that diet pill route, the prescription diet pills. And if anything, I think it gets you even more out of touch with your body's signals. I don't think I don't think it helps my body in the long run at all. All right. Say so we have another part of Linda's question about reflux. And then we also have a um a question that's similar from Kiernan or I'm sorry, Kieran. So we're going to Hit the rest of Linda's and then Kieran's and then answer those. So Linda said, short second question, do you know if IF tends to help reflux or makes it worse? I'm a daily sufferer who just quit PPI meds but still taking H2 blockers, now experiencing no symptoms during fasting time but still have symptoms during feeding time. I'm eight weeks in and down eight pounds, yay. My reflux seems to be getting better but I've still had a few bad days. My question is, do you know how IF affects reflux, either negatively or positively? You've covered so many different health issues, but I've never heard you talk about this issue. I really hope that you'll touch on it as it's effect as it affects so many people. Sorry so long. Thanks for all you do. Cheers. And then we have Kieran uh, with her question about stomach acid reflux. And she says, hi, both. Just started intermittent fasting on a 16-8 plan and already losing a little weight. Only need to lose 10 kilograms, so not expecting any problems getting to my target as finding it very easy to fast from 8 p.m. to midday the following day. One question that I am having a problem with is acid reflux at night. I am unable to eat a proper meal until that time as I am only getting home from work at 745. I have a hiatus hernia. Is that how you would say that? I'm not sure. With Barrett's esophagus prescribed. Okay, here's a medication. I don't know how to say this one either. I need my husband here since he's a medicinal chemist to say it for me. Uh, Omeprazole, 20 milligrams to control the acid. It is impossible to eat a proper meal late at night as I won't be able to lie down to sleep. So the questions, will IF reduce the production of stomach acid so I could get off the tablets? Should I try to change the eating window to earlier? Difficult due to work hours. Will the acid reduce if I'm in the fasted state at bedtime? If so, I feel that I may not be getting enough nutrients and this could cause more problems. I know that at weekends I'll be able to open the feeding window earlier so I shouldn't have the problem with the reflux, but Monday to Friday will be uncomfortable for me. Keep up the good work with the podcasts. You're the best there is. By the way, I am 60 years old and weigh 85 kilograms. Kieran from Coventry in the UK. Okie dokie. Acid reflux. So acid reflux for 
listeners who are unfamiliar, it's basically where acid builds up and you (laughs) up into the throat. So you feel it. So no fun. And um, typically occurs after eating. And it's kind of a windy, curvy road as to the theories of the root cause of it. And I will explain why. And that, that's because acid reflux can either be from too low or too high stomach acid. So originally, people thought that it was always from too high stomach acid because if there's acid gurgling up in your throat, you would think, oh, it's because I'm making too much stomach acid. Um, and that's why people get prescribed things like PPIs, which reduce the stomach acid. However, then there came the a sort of alternative view that actually acid reflux is from too low stomach acid. And the reason being is that your stomach doesn't produce enough stomach acid, so it struggles with digesting food and that it all builds up and then the acid goes into your throat. So it's kind of the opposite situation. But then I was actually just listening yesterday to... Um, it was actually Rob Wolf's most recent podcast where he interviewed Dr. Rousseau, Dr. Michael Rousseau, so two of my favorite people in the world. And Dr. Rousseau actually said that studies show both things. They show that sometimes it's from too low stomach acid, sometimes it's from too high stomach acid. But in any case, the problem is with inadequate stomach acid, either too much or too little. So... How do we address that, and how does intermittent fasting affect that? I couldn't find any actual studies about fasting and stomach acid. Did you, Jen? No, not any actual studies. Okay, (laughs) so um, not much help there. That said, I do believe um, from personal experience and from just what I've read that intermittent fasting by allowing time for your digestive tract to be cleared of food, that it can really allow a healing process and allow things to reset in a way and um, help in your journey towards producing adequate stomach acid. That said, I I wouldn't look at fasting as the, um, the solution for your acid reflux problems. I'd rather instead you look at your eating habits. So a lot of people find that supplementing with HCL, which is hydrochloric acid, so it's basically stomach acid, that that really helps. So you can try supplementing with that and see if that helps. Um, If you go to ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like, that's where we put a link to all the stuff we like, and we have a link there to HCL that we like. That can really, really help some people. So try that out. If it helps, Keep it up, and you might be able to not use it one day. If it doesn't help, then it doesn't help. That's really just with pro- with meals containing protein. You're not going to need HCL or lots of stomach acid if you're eating like meal of fruit. <laughs> Digestive enzymes can help as well because it is a matter of food digestion, so those can really help. Again, if you go to iofpodcast.com slash stuff we like, we have links to those there. And then also you can do things like some people find that taking apple, apple cider vinegar before their meal can really help. Also things that stimulate digestion. So your body is really in a digestive state. So that's going to be like digestive bitters. It can also be like spices like garlic and herbs and things like that. So that can really help. And also it's really key that you're not slamming your system with so much food that it can't handle that the acid reflux becomes more of a problem. So I would really encourage people to look into proper food combining, to really being um, really eating slowly and chewing your f- food thoroughly and seeing how things affect you. And that can be really, really key. As far as Kieran's question about eating right before bedtime and the problems with that, So that really can be a problem for a lot of people. Um, If you're struggling with acid reflux, eating a huge meal before bed is likely or could really be a problem. So for Karen, I know you said it's really hard on your work days to change your eating window, but I would 
suggest that you do change your eating window if you're not able to address your acid reflux through the means that I just mentioned. You could try doing a longer eating window and doing like a lunch and dinner. So then you're eating more at dinner or sorry. So then you're eating (laughs) more at lunch and then a lighter dinner that might work for you. So doing more of like an hours based approach rather than a one meal a day approach. If you're a breakfast person, you could even do a a completely daytime window and you could do like, you know, just breakfast or or breakfast and lunch or just lunch. Um, But you're really going to have to figure out just what matters to you the most. And if you can't address the stomach acid, like I said, through those other ways, you're going to have to choose if you want to keep dealing with that or if you want to change your window accordingly. So what do you think, Jen? Yeah, we have got group members who post about this. And one in particular that I know of, she has the um, Barrett's esophagus as well. And she has had to move to a a window that closes earlier in the day for her. She um, can't sleep at all. She has the, suffers from the problems with the, um, the reflux at night if she eats late. So I know that it may not be as convenient. It may not feel like the time that you want to eat, but it might have to be what works best for you. So, um, as Melanie mentioned, there's so many things you can do and tweak and see what makes a difference. You know, I don't have reflux, but I have found the one thing that I eat that if I eat this heavy at night, um, it'll make me have almost like an acid reflux kind of feeling is like bacon and prosciutto and heavy, fatty, greasy, porky kinds of meats do that for me. So I'll like have a little, ugh, you know, kind of feeling in my throat if I eat that late and then try to go to bed. So um, there really may be, it may be some foods that you can adjust, but the window timing may not be something that you can, um, that you can deal with. You just have to have to eat earlier. And I wish that, that. We could say, yes, this will all be cured by fasting, but it just depends on so many personal factors. So the next question, plural questions, <laughs> comes from Michelle, and the, subject is, and the subject is questions from New York. And Michelle says, hello, I've just started listening to your podcast. So far, I'm loving it. I like all the information you give, especially, especially the scientific facts. It's nice to have someone else do all the research, and I can just listen to the information from you gals. Yes, that is nice. (laughs) She says, so I have three questions. And then she also says, on a side note, I actually, unbeknownst to me, was, was doing this already. I was fasting throughout high school, and I was at my best weight and health. And I think we've talked about this before, but I feel like a lot of people find that as well, that they kind of naturally did sort of intermittent fasting type patterns and either just thought it was wrong or did it naturally without realizing and then and then everybody fell into the pressure of breakfast is the most important meal of the day so and then they didn't connect the fact that oh wait now I'm gaining all this weight (laughs) and I don't feel good anymore (laughs) yep (laughs) so Michelle says I've been wanting to try and start intermittent fasting again but I'm not sure how to begin besides just taking the plunge right into it. Do you have any suggestions of easily transitioning into it when you have been used to eating three to five meals a day? So we can go ahead and answer that if you like. Um, do you have, I feel like Jen, you'll have more experience with that with the Facebook groups and such. Yeah. It's just really a matter of um, what works better for you. Some people are a rip the bandaid off kind of person and they just start right in and they take the plunge. And, you know, yeah, it might be a little a little hard at first because your body is looking for that source of energy during the day, but you may adjust more quickly because your body has to adjust because you're, you're going right into it. Now, if you're not one of the people that wants to take the plunge right into it, there are many ways you can work up to it. One way is, of course, just bump back that first meal slowly over time. Like, you know, first you're eating breakfast in the morning as you always were, then start skipping that breakfast and, you know, pushing back maybe a morning snack and then lunch or then get rid of the morning snack and then you're just having lunch and then beyond. So you're just gradually adjusting that window shorter and later in the day till you find the one that works for you. Another option, I actually talk about this in um, Delay, Don't Deny in the eating window chapter, 
And this is a suggestion that actually was born out of the carbohydrate addicts diet, which um, came out in the 90s. And I actually, of course, tried this diet and did this diet, but you have to eat low carb all during the day. And I just don't like to fool around with trying to get all that low carb food during the day. So in the carbohydrate addicts diet, they recommend that you have a low carb meal for breakfast, a low carb meal for lunch, and then what they call the reward meal, which is um, a meal that can have anything and including carbs. So their whole premise, and they were really ahead of their time, their premise was you keep your insulin low during the day by having the low carb meals. Sounds familiar, right? And then at night, you spike your insulin with that one meal, and then you will lose the weight. So the doctor, Dr. Rachel Heller, who wrote the book, um, it, she found that that worked really well for a lot of people, the low-carb meals during the day and then the one-carb meal at night. And here's the interesting thing. You know, I actually tried the diet and having the low-carb breakfast, low-carb lunch, and then the, the reward meal. And, and it did work, but I didn't enjoy having to be low-carb during the day. So I went back and when I was transitioning from keto and, of course, didn't like keto and wasn't doing well without carbs, I reread this book. So this was in 2014. And I had an aha moment when I was reading it. This book was really instrumental in my progression for intermittent fasting. And so I, I remembered in the, the first part of the book, her introduction, where she talks about how she lost her weight and she lost over 100 pounds. She actually was not doing low-carb breakfast, low-carb lunch, then a meal with carbs. She actually did one meal a day. So she talks about how she was had to fast for a, a procedure that she was having done at the um, at the doctor's office. But then they called her and rescheduled it for the afternoon. And so she was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to have to fast all day. So she did. And then she ate a giant meal after the procedure was over. And the next morning got up and found she'd lost weight. And she's like, what? You know, she'd eaten this giant meal with all the foods she, you know, were supposedly bad for you. And she lost weight. So then she did it again the next day. And so she found that by fasting during the day, and having one big meal at night, she um, lost the weight and got down where she needed. But then she wrote The Carbohydrate Addict's Diet as a way to help people who didn't want to fast all during the day. And keeping in mind, this was the 90s when they wrote it. And probably that wouldn't have gone over very well at the time, you know, not knowing what we know now about fasting and how good it is for us. So she recommended the low-carb breakfast, low-carb lunch, and then your reward meal. So long story short... You can try that approach to start with now. Give yourself a low-carb breakfast, have low-carb during the day, and then have your, your meal at night of whatever you want. And that should help your body become fat-adapted because you're keeping your glycogen stores low because you're only having the, the carb meal at night. And then you'll be able to transition into fat burning. And so that can ease the adjustment period. So like I said, this is, this is in... Um, delay, don't deny, in the eating window approach chapter, but it might be something that you really enjoy. And the goal is, just like with fasting, keeping your insulin low so your body can start burning fat. So what are your thoughts on that, Melanie? Yeah, I think that's a really, really great suggestion. It's actually kind of similar to one I had, which which didn't probably work for you, but might work for other people, and that is just in general – adapting uh, a lower carb approach in general, or even a keto approach, basically anything that um, can make your body really good at burning fat, then transitioning into intermittent fasting will be way easier, because you'll already be used to fat burning. So um, not it doesn't necessarily have to be keto, but something you could try is either doing like the approach that Jen just discussed, or doing just a lower carb approach in general, so you get really used to fat burning and then transitioning. And then um, I actually, so in my book, which is What When Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great <laughs> with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine, I actually have a, a whole chapter on this on suggestions for easily transitioning, for easily transitioning to intermittent fasting. So some other tips and tricks that you can try. It's really important, I believe, that you stay busy when you start intermittent fasting approaches. So don't do it on a day that you don't have anything to do. 
because then you'll just be laying around thinking about how you want to be eating. <laughs> um, so do it on a day that you're busy, you have a full calendar, so you won't even be like thinking about it. Physical activity also can help because it, it ramps up fat burning. So just staying active during the day and then that can really help. Also, I don't want it to be a crutch and you don't want to go crazy, especially if you're a slow metabolizer, but but caffeine can really help with fat burning, especially in the morning. So you can have some tea, some black coffee. And of course, I will emphasize clean black coffee. So we're probably not going to add um, fats or anything to that. We just want to do straight up black coffee or tea. And then the first thing Jen mentioned with like, for example, skipping breakfast, yeah, like slowly adjusting, slowly reducing your window can be good. So maybe first you just skip breakfast or maybe you just skip dinner if you're doing an earlier window or you just slowly shorten your window each and every day And because you can take it as slow as you want. So you could say, okay, tomorrow I won't start eating until 10 a.m. and then the next day 11 a.m. and then the next day noon and then the next day 1 p.m. I mean, it's really fine. You can do that, and uh, that might help. Yeah, those are those are some of my thoughts. If you want the uh, the full story, not to be a commercial, but get 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 both of our books. <laughs> they can really help. All right. So Michelle's second question. She says, "My other thing is when I tried it before for about three days." I would, around 11 a.m., get migraines. I am prone to my to migraines, so I'm wondering if there is a solution to get past the auras and the migraines so that I can continue the fast. Do you have any thoughts on migraines, Jen? Well, um, I will say that this is part of the adjustment period probably for you. Again, it's part of the fact that your body is looking for that quick energy that it's used to, and it's not finding it. So you're getting that headache in response to it. So taking a more gentle approach, as we just covered, would probably help you a lot instead of getting the headaches. Now, you might actually still have headaches at first because even when you're doing like low-carb breakfast, low-carb lunch, if you decided to try that approach at first and then gradually dropping the breakfast and gradually, you know, moving to the one meal eventually, it might just be the fact that you're not having carbs. You know, people have if they do just a straight-up low-carb diet, a lot of people suffer from headaches at the beginning of those as well. So I will say we should probably differentiate between headaches and migraines, though. Okay. Yeah, I don't. I know that it is. there are, is a difference between migraines and headaches, but I don't know if she's having, like, really a migraine or if she's just using that term. A lot of people throw the term migraine around when it's just bad headaches. I think she is because if she's getting auras – yeah, talk about the difference. Talk if you would like to talk about the difference, but I I feel like whether it's an actual migraine or a headache, just a bad headache that she's having, that it's probably related to the fact that her body is searching for that fuel source. Did you have a different idea? I, I did have a few different ideas. Okay. Yeah, I've not been a migraine sufferer, so have you had migraines? I have not. Yeah, so basically there are a lot of different types of headaches. There's like normal headaches, there's cluster headaches, but migraines specifically, so they are actually a neurovascular disorder and they relate to the neurons in the brain and the widening and constriction of blood vessels. But something that makes them kind of unique is that they do often have this aura that can accompany them. And so I've never had this, but basically it's a um, a sensory or a visual disturbance. So like seeing stars or feeling tingling or your vision goes blurry. And that actually happens right before the migraine. And so migraines apparently affect around 12% of people. They can be related to a lot of things. They're often related to reaction to certain food chemicals. For example, like tyramine. So that's found in a lot of like fermented foods and citrus fruits. Histamine, which is also in a lot of fermented foods. Arginine. The reason that I think fasting might make it worse is that if these things are causing it, I think we find in general that intermittent fasting has a tendency to reveal (laughs) in a way where your, quote, health issues are. And of course, Jen and I are not doctors, so this is just us throwing out what we think. 
So it could be like a lack of energy or an inner or an inability to pro- properly utilize energy, like Jim was saying, or it might be that it's making you your body more sensitive and more aware to these food-related problems that are creating the migraines in the first place. Yeah, the reason that made me think it was energy is because it was happening every day at 11 a.m., which seemed like, you know, you wake up, she's used to waking up in the morning and having breakfast and then not having the breakfast. By 11, her body's like, where's my energy? That was what made me think that it was related to that. Yeah, I mean, so that that's a huge, that's a huge possibility. We don't, we don't know. We, we don't know why Michelle's getting the migraines, I guess. That would make a difference. So, Michelle, we don't know why you're getting them, like Jen just said, but we can definitely throw out there how we think to help. And so one option is what Jen was saying with just the adjustment period. Also, and I'm sure since you get migraines, you probably have done the research. I mean, you might have done the research on all of this, but I did find a lot of I did find a lot of um, scientific studies saying that magnesium deficiency can be a huge thing for migraines, so maybe that's something to look into. Also, B vitamins and and folate can be really huge for combating migraines, so that might be something you want to supplement with when you wake up, especially for energy that can help. And then other just factors, stress, lack of food or sleep, MSG, bright lights, sounds, caffeine, And by caffeine, the caffeine can uh, encourage the migraines. So yeah, so it might be an adjustment period. You could also try these different foods, avoiding these different foods, taking these supplements. And I will say anecdotally, again, I know of at least one person in the Facebook group who has reported that they used to suffer from really bad migraines before intermittent fasting, and now they haven't had one like since. Like it's absolutely made a huge difference. So keep that in mind. You may find that over time you you have the same results um, that I've heard reported. So I would love, Michelle, to get a follow-up from you after you've been doing this for a while and send us a follow-up email and tell us what approach you used for adjusting to intermittent fasting and how that worked for you and also the story of what happened with your headaches and did they get better and when did they get better and, and how did that work for you? We'd be interested to hear it. Yes, that'd be wonderful. <laughs> She does have one last question. She says, lastly, exercise. What kind of exercise, if any, do you do? Do you work out in the morning, in the evening, how many times a week? Do you find that you have any problems getting through your workout because of intermittent fasting, whether you're working out in the morning or the evening? Thanks for all your information, and I can't wait to get a response. Well, yes, we've talked about about this before, that we're not, we're not like regimented exercisers per se. And um, so, no, I don't officially work out in the morning, no. But I will say that in the summer when I was not teaching in the summer, I would often get up in the morning and take an early morning walk around the neighborhood just because I enjoy that. And I'll probably start doing that again when I get out of school at the end of this year and then never have to go back. I do imagine that I may get up and and take a walk in the morning because I just I like to start my day that way when I when I have the time. But I don't because I you know right now I'm getting up at five thirty in the morning and it's dark and I like to be out in nature doing something more than like going to a gym to work out. That's so funny that you say that because you know I was talking about the apartment situation in in the beginning. Like one of the reasons I really like this apartment and I mentioned this, was it just backs up to the most beautiful neighborhood. And I don't ever wake up and, like, walk. (laughs) But I keep seeing, envisioning myself, like, waking up and then going for a walk. Like, starting a new habit change maybe can happen. Well, in the the summer, it's so hot around here. But in, um, in the morning, it's pleasant. So I like to get out and walk. Now, sometimes my husband and I will go for a walk after dinner in the summer also when it's still light till late. He'll want to go out and get a walk around the neighborhood, um, and we'll talk and walk and and that sort of thing. But um, basically for me, since I don't officially do any hardcore working out, I just move when it's convenient and feels right, and I find that it's really easy to do any movement I ever want to do when I'm in the fasted state. I've never felt like I can't do that because I'm in the fasted state and I don't have enough energy. I actually feel like I would have more energy to tackle something 
in the fasted state. And you should probably find that to be the case as well once your body adjusts to it. Now, at first, no. You'll have to wait till your body's adjusted and it, it might feel like you're sluggish for a while if you're trying to work out in the fasted state. But if your goal is, you know, prime fat burning, the recommendation is work out in the fasted state. But if your goal is just to move through life in a way that is convenient for you, just find the time that works in your schedule and do it then. Yeah, so we've talked about the science behind exercise and fasting before. So I'll put links in the show notes. If you go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 51, that's where I'll put links to the references that we discuss, uh, the show notes, and then also other episodes where we've actually talked about this very issue because it's actually very true that the fasted state really supports fat burning and really catalyzes movement. It actually makes movement um, very natural. And like Jen, I'm a big proponent of just having life be movement. And um, and I've talked about actually the last episode, we talked about the, the wearable weights. I do things like that to, uh, to make everyday movement more of a sort of quote exercise without it being exercise. But um, yeah, I think movement is really key. But as far as the actual regimented exercise questions, I don't go to the gym a ton. I, although I do actually, I really like, um, I do really like sometimes going on the treadmill in the evening, um, especially when I'm like doing research like for the podcast or reading a book or something like that. I actually do find that that's um, really nice for me before I open my window. I feel like most people who do intermittent fasting and I don't know if you've seen this in the groups, but they probably find after any adjustment period that they enjoy fasted exercise. Yeah, that's, yes, that's absolutely what people find. And they, they just really can't believe how natural it feels and how much more energy they have during the workout than, than they did before, honestly. All righty. All right. So we have one more question today and it's from Carolina. Although it might be Carolina, but here I live in Georgia, so I'm going to say Carolina, thanks to my neighbors to the north. (laughs) And the subject is Stevia, and Carolina writes, Hi, Jen and Melanie. I love, love, love your podcasts. I have been listening to them again, and I am so thankful for the time and effort you put into it. And thank you very much. You have mentioned many times, Jen, how you quit using Stevia and the importance of clean fasting. I'm with you 100%. I only drink water, Pellegrino water, one cup of black coffee or matcha around noon. Jen, I can hear you pronouncing it the Georgia way. Ha, ha, ha. (laughs) My question, did you quit using stevia altogether or just for your fasting window? I normally do 24 and close my window with golden milk, with coconut, almond milk, MCT oil, cinnamon, and stevia. I used to have a coffee with coconut cream and stevia after my snack, but eliminated that coffee, so I only use it with the golden milk. Is the problem with the stevia because of when you use it fasting or just a problem per se? Thank you in advance, Carolina. Now, stevia is only a no during the fast. And and it's not especially a no. It's, it's, it's all the sweeteners are a no. So you don't want stevia during the fast. You don't want artificial sweeteners during the fast. You don't want any kind of sweetener, anything that's sweet during the fast. So as, as you've done here, you interpret that to mean perhaps maybe that means no stevia ever, and that's not the case. You can have stevia or any sweeteners that you prefer during your eating window. That's just fine. Now, do I have stevia anymore? No, because I don't like it. <laughs> I used to like it when I was having it all day long and having it in my coffee before I understood the importance of a clean fast. I really think I was addicted to it in some way. Um But once I cut it out during the fast and stopped having it and went to the clean fast, and I just realized I lost my taste for it. So during my eating window, I would try to have something sweetened with stevia just because I had the the stevia around. I didn't like it. So I don't like the taste anymore. And I actually, you know, you mentioned some golden milk. I actually bought golden milk for people who don't know um, is a 
type of hot milk beverage that you can use with regular milk or any kind of milk substitute, and it has turmeric in it, and it's supposed to be great for you. It's anti-inflammatory, and you can also put other spices in it like black pepper, and that might sound weird, but you sweeten it. It's absolutely delicious. It usually, like the different, I use a mix, but the different mixes might have, you know, cinnamon or cardamom or different things in there, and it's really soothing. Um, We started drinking it in my Facebook group over the winter, and we actually um, started calling it a hug in a mug because it just was a great way to close your window. But I actually bought two different kinds of the, the golden milk powder, and one kind had stevia in it and one kind did not. And the kind with stevia, I did not like it at all. And I was like, this is the stevia. I just don't like the taste of it. So I went with the one that didn't have the stevia only, only because I don't prefer the taste. So I am not anti-stevia. If you would like to have that in your eating window, then please do. I'm only only anti-stevia and any type of sweetener during the fast because it's going to cause the problem with, with insulin release. And so that's why you want to avoid it. So you choose the sweetener of your choice for your golden milk and it should be fine because golden milk, of course, obviously it's made with these milks. It's made with, um, you know, all these other things that is not safe for the fast. It's definitely a, something to have in your eating window. Have you ever had golden milk, Melanie? I have not. It's so good. I don't do so well with dairy. Well, that's like I said, you can have it with any kind of dairy re- replacement. So a lot of people have it with, she said she has it with coconut or almond milk. Yeah, I think that's great. Everything that you said, basically just to clarify the whole issue, if we say you can't have certain things during the fast, that that says nothing about the eating window. You can have whatever you want in the eating window. Of course, Jen and I have our own views about what foods are best. So for example, I follow like a, a whole foods paleo approach. Jen has a slightly more lenient approach, but she still in general, I believe, uh, favors whole foods in general, right? Well, I think that so, in general, that's what is going to be best for your body overall. But, you know, we were at a hotel this week and we had these snacks and there were some Cheetos and I brought them home and one day I might eat those Cheetos. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't, I'm not exactly. like, um, I don't, you know, force myself to follow a, a prescriptive regimen of like this food is okay and that food is not okay. I eat what I like and what makes me feel good. And I do find that I feel better when I stick to mostly real foods. Yeah. And I, and I as well don't, I just want to clarify, I don't like, I don't like looking at foods as good or bad or okay or not okay. I just believe certain foods affect people differently and certain foods can cause inflammatory problems, um, especially today in our modern society. In any case, the point is eat what you want during the fat, during the feeding period. And when we say that something is a, a quote, no, that just means during the fast. Did you know, Jen, that, um, the reason people add pepper to turmeric is because it substantially increases the beneficial effects of turmeric? I did know that. Yes. Oh, you did. Okay. <laughs> I did. <laughs> we both did know that. That's probably why you said it. A hundred percent. That's why I mentioned it. Yeah. <laughs> I did know that. It's, you know, so many of these um, traditional recipes, this is what's so fascinating. The more you study traditional foods and then the more we know about science, we're finding that the traditional things that people did, like making a, a turmeric paste and having it, and adding black pepper and like they do, this is this is from India. There's like a, a biological reason they didn't know, <laughs> but when we find it with um, when we research it scientifically, we find hey, this really does support this. So they were doing it for you know, they didn't know scientifically why, but it it was a it was right. So um, listen to some of this ancient wisdom and some of the foods that were paired together for thousands and thousands of years. They, they were done that way for a reason. They might not have known the science behind it, but when we investigate it scientifically, we find out, yeah, that's, that's why you should do it. Yeah, the same actually goes for traditional preparation methods, right. like fermenting Absolutely. foods and things like that, soaking soaking nuts and stuff like yeah. that. So this, this, the ways they used to do things, they didn't necessarily know this, well, they didn't, they didn't know the science of why, but it was it was when we find the science we understand why yep alrighty well this has been a wonderful episode so a few things before we go for show notes for this episode you can go to ifpodcast.com/episode 
episode 51. You can also, for anything that we mentioned that we like, so supplements, books, things like that, you can go to ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like. Also, if you're in iTunes, you can subscribe to our podcast and you'll get the podcast downloaded automatically each week. You won't even have to do anything. And while you're there, if you'd like to write a brief review, we would be so appreciative. That would really, really help more than you can know. And um, also we have an Instagram account. So that is IF Podcast. So definitely follow us there as well. You can also follow me, I'm Melanie Avalon. And Jen, what's your what's your Instagram handle? Jen Stevens. It is just, it's just Jen Stevens. It's, yeah, it's just Jen Stevens. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Stevens with the PH, Jen with the G. Perfect. <laughs> All righty. Well, any final thoughts from you today? No, I, I think that was it. And as you said, good episode. Now I'm so tired because I had a long weekend. <laughs> and I drove to North Carolina and back. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'll recover and I will see you next week. All right. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, the opinions we discussed on this show do not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. Check out ifpodcast.com for more information on us. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.